Good morning. My name is Mark, and I am a workaholic. Uh, I have been clean for just over 10 years now. At the height of my addiction, it was very common for me to work a minimum of 80 hours a week. It was very common for me to sleep with a legal pad beside my bed. A legal pad was the uh, things people wrote with before God invented iPads. And uh, it was not uncommon for me during the night to fill up three to four pages of, of that legal pad with ideas and notes and things about my job and work-related stuff. Uh, insomnia for me was just a way of life, just became the new normal. Uh, sleep became a distant memory. Um, and I had developed the nasty habit of not using my annual leave. That was me just over 10 years ago, uh, a workaholic. And I may be sitting at a dinner party today and tell people that story. I work 80 hours a week, I don't sleep much, I make notes, I can't stop thinking about work. When I'm not at work, I'm thinking about work. And if I shared that at a dinner party these days, I don't think I'd get very much of a shock reaction from the people that I'm talking with because actually now more than ever, even though I've been clean for 10 years, now more than ever, we've actually deified productivity. That, that work and output has actually reached a godlike status in our culture. Productivity, there's an app for that. But what about the opposite? Does God have anything to say about this? You know, one of the things that I think almost typifies for me that the, the, the godlike status that productivity has reached in our Western culture is the product Soylent. Now, if you've missed it, let me tell you a little bit of the backstory of Soylent. In, 20, in 20, uh, 2013, um, a software engineer named Rob Reinhardt decided to conduct a 30-day self-experiment. And he was wondering if he could create some sort of a liquid beverage that would be able to have in it all of the nutrients that the government says that one should have to sustain life from one day to the next. And so he, he pulled this concoction together and went on this 30-day self-experiment of, of, of drinking this drink that ultimately he called Soylent. And... Uh, he got, he got the formula to a point where he put it out on a crowdfunding platform. And before the product was released in the crowdfunding stage of, of business, he'd, he actually raised $1.5 million worth of pre-orders for this product that didn't actually exist on the market yet. And the appeal of this product, Soylent, wasn't in its taste, <laughs> wasn't in its marketing because there wasn't any. The appeal was that it actually solved the question, can I stay at my desk longer? Can I actually not have to take breakfast, lunch or dinner breaks that will allow me to sit here and be even more productive? That was the question that this product was answering, that breaks are bad, food is a waste of time, and taking a lunch break is a distraction when instead I could be being more productive. Now, 
As a recovering workaholic, I'm not advocating that you quit your job and become a government-funded, full-time Netflix binge-watcher. Productivity is a good thing. God has a lot to say about it. We talked about it even the first week of this series. Productivity is a good thing until it isn't. See, for me, in the height of my workaholism, one day my wife, Louisa, said to me, I actually don't know how and if I fit into your life anymore. She wasn't saying she didn't love me anymore. She was saying that work had displaced much of what our life together should have actually represented. And she wasn't asking me to quit my job, but she was definitely staging an intervention. In 2003, Andy Stanley, Andy Stanley leads a church in Atlanta, Georgia called North Point Community Church. He released a book using this metaphor of having an affair with your workplace, choosing to cheat. It's now being called uh, When Work and Family Collide. I like the first one. I, I, I don't do subtlety. <laughs> choosing to cheat. And the metaphor is this of having an affair. And See, because... Having sex with somebody that you're not married to is not the only way you can cheat on your spouse. That you and I, if we choose to, we can have an affair with our job. And the difference between having an affair with your job and having an affair with someone you're not married to is having an affair with your job is, is not only acceptable in our Western culture, it's actually often encouraged. This week, I, I, I was listening to a story of a particular work, uh, workplace setting. And uh, in the recent... Uh, years, they, they held a Christmas party, as they do every year. This particular Christmas party, they, they were giving an award at the Christmas party for the employee of the year. And it's a big deal and, you know, people hoping they win it this particular year. And so the, the, the head of the company gets up and says, okay, it's been, a, it's been a big year. We've actually taken our whole company through a, a software systems upgrade and we've changed that all around. And, and the guy that headed up that project, Mr. Billy Bob Bob, he is the employee of the year. And uh, Billy Bob Bob walks up to collect his, uh, his uh, prestigious award of the employee of the year. And he says, yep. Says to the whole gathered, gathered company, he says, yep, it's been a big year. This software upgrade and the systems upgrade, and it's, it's required a lot of me. Uh, this year, my marriage broke down and uh, my family moved out on me. And so this award means a lot to me and walked off the stage. <laughs> Productivity is a good thing until it's not. And too often I've seen people sacrifice their marriage on the altar of productivity. I've seen people sacrifice their friendships on the altar of productivity using the I'm so busy badge of honour. Sacrificing strong relationships with their kids on the altar of productivity, sacrificing physical, mental, and emotional health on the altar of productivity because there's a difference between saying your spouse is important to you and actually demonstrating that they're important to you. It's a difference. There's a difference between saying your health is a priority and making your health a priority. Now, this made for Monday's series, in today's message, it is actually primarily 
angle towards people in the marketplace. And, and I'm aware of that. And I'm aware that for some of you, you're not currently in the marketplace. Some of you are students. And so not every single thing we've been teaching directly applies to you now, though it will. Some of you are domestic CEOs and uh, for you, you know, life is, is conducted in the home in the community. And so this idea of the marketplace and some of the concepts may not be applicable to you in your current season, but I, I still want you to stay tuned because it may be a season you're gonna come into or God might actually speak something to you for somebody in your world and you can actually maybe be used by God to stage an intervention for somebody that you know who is um, a workaholic as I was. But for those of you in the marketplace, I almost wanna slice and dice you into three categories. Maybe you're like me and you're a recovering workaholic. And for those of you that are a recovering workaholic, then what I wanna say to you today in the time we've got left is hopefully going to help you avoid a relapse. There's a reason that in these anonymous meetings that they don't say, I used to be an alcoholic, I used to be a drug addict, I used to be a workaholic. They actually say, I am a workaholic, meaning I am one bad decision away from going back to that same place. Some of you have never been a workaholic and so I hope that today's message will inoculate you from ever going down that very slippery slope that our current Western culture would actually let you very, very voluntarily fall down. And then for some of you, maybe you are currently a workaholic and if so, then welcome to my intervention. I wanna, I want us to jump in the Wayback Machine very briefly and for those of you under 30, you better buckle up because what I'm about to share with you, this is gonna blow your mind. So I wanna get in the Wayback Machine and take you back just 30 years, not in your lifetime if you're under 30, but in my lifetime, even though I'm only just a little bit over 30. There was a time before mobile phones and the internet decided to run our lives where in the morning, you would actually leave the house, you would actually go to work and it represented a physical place. You would actually arrive at work. You would actually progress through the day at work, doing work. At the end of the day, this is gonna really blow your mind. At the end of the day, you would actually finish work. Then, you would do this crazy thing. You would actually leave work. I'm not done yet. And miraculously, when you left work, work didn't follow you home. If someone wanted to get a hold of you, they had to wait till 9 a.m. tomorrow. Now, as you know, it's so easy for work to follow you wherever you are. And if you wonder if that's you, or maybe if you're heading in that direction, here's a few warning lights as you're driving down the productivity highway. Is there a light going on because you rarely have meals with your spouse, your family, or your friends? Too busy. Is there a light going on on your dashboard that's telling you when you're not at work, you're thinking about work? Is there a light going on reminding you that you regularly check email after hours on your days off and on annual leave? Is there a warning light 
going on that says you've got no time for physical activity and because of that, it's actually impl having implications in other areas of your life. And by the way, this is a very short list. I decided to cut it at four because I didn't want to stand like Judge Judy up here. But this, this list could get real long real quick. And some of you maybe actually could take several of these and think, uh, actually, <laughs> that's me. If you've uh, got our Elevate app or you can uh, quickly download it if you haven't, I, I wanna take you to something that um, is gonna form a key part of our intervention this morning. In week one of this series, Made for Mondays, we talked about work being a good thing and that uh, whilst it's great to gather as a church on Sundays, that actually we have a ministry on Mondays that God says, huddle up, let's learn the play and then let's break the huddle and go out and make the play. And that happens on a Monday, fantastic. It's, productivity is a good thing until it's not. Week two of this series, we talked about the idea that God can actually cause you to find meaning even if you're in a job that's not fun anymore, that's not your dream job, that God, while you're in that season and in that job, he can help you find meaning. Well, here's something else that God has to say about work. This is written by Solomon. Solomon was considered the wisest guy that ever lived before Jesus, and he wrote a whole lot of very, very wise stuff, including this. He wrote, if God doesn't build a house, the builders only build shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchmen might as well nap. It's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know He enjoys giving rest to those He loves? Now, I'm a professional Christian. I was made for Sundays. And uh, I go to some church conferences and leadership conferences and all that sort of thing and orbit with my church leader buddies. And this first verse is often thrown out there to church leaders. Hey, church leader, unless God builds the house, you're only building shacks. And, and it's a cautionary tale. And it's used in that context as a cautionary tale to say to, to people in church leadership, don't try to build the church in only your own strength. Don't become self-reliant. Don't think it's only about your work, your talents, your gifts, your experience, your smarts, your energy, your commitment. No, God says that He will build the church and your job is to just get busy with what He's asked you to do and to stop what He's asked you to not do, to don't do church leadership in your own strength. And it's true. This verse definitely applies to that. This advice from Solomon definitely applies to that, but it actually wasn't directed at that. This is actually a whole of life instruction. This is whole of life wisdom. This is about our jobs. This is about our families. This is about our marriages. This is about our friendships. Don't do life in your own strength. If you do, you're only gonna build shacks and God's got so much more for you. God's got so much better for you. Shacks don't withstand storms. Houses built by God withstand storms. Lives built in our own strength don't withstand storms. Lives built by God and by His principles and on the foundation of His Word withstand storms. And workaholics... If you popped the hood and you looked at what was fueling them, oftentimes, not only, but oftentimes, the fuel is self-reliance. That I'm gonna work more because I'm the provider. And if I don't, nothing is gonna get done. 
And Solomon says, no, 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 no. There's something better. Because what you're doing is you're getting up early and you're going to bed late and you're working, you're worried, fingers to the bone. Oh, and here's one. And don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? I remember when I was at the, the peak of my workaholism, I was talking with one of my church leader buddies and, uh, and I was starting to brag a little bit about this workaholism that I had developed. And I started telling him, because by the way, I was fueled by self-reliance and, 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 and if it's any help, let me keep the hood up for a second. I was, my workaholism was fueled by self-reliance and it was fueled by com- a competitive instinct that was being demonstrated in an unhealthy way. I'm still super competitive, but at the time I was trying to show the people I worked with and worked for and worked around how much better I was than them. I, I may not have realized it. I sure as heck didn't admit it. But looking back, that's definitely was the case for me. And so I, I, you know, sleep had become a distant memory. And I'm talking with this church leader buddy of mine and he says to me, random, right? This is like walk up to each other. And when you walk up to someone that you know and you walk, the first line is, how's it going? You know, what have you been up to? You know, just that. He said to me, first line, opening line, Mark, he's from Sydney. He was visiting Perth, walks up. Hey, Mark, how's your sleep? And I'm like, what? What a rando question. What, what? I said, and I'm like, not very good actually. I don't remember the last time I've slept well. And he said to me, as I was walking up the corridor, I saw you, I felt God say to me to ask you, how's your sleep? And so he did. And I'm like, well, that explains at least, you asked because God told you to, but why did he tell you? Otherwise, it's just, you're just some crazy guy from Sydney. And he jammed this verse down my throat. He said, Mark, don't you know that God promises rest to those he loves? And if you're not experiencing God's rest, you probably are doing some things that God hasn't asked you to do. I said to him, what the heck do you know? You're from Sydney, bugger off. No, I didn't. I have remembered that and I've actually quoted that verse to people that I've since met about sleep. I am now, I now have a, I now have a black belt in sleep. If you, want, if you want some sleep hack tips, come talk to me. I can do nine hours out, boom, comatose. Louis has to do this, hold the mirror to my mouth, see if I'm still breathing. It's true, it's really true. <laughs> you want to text me, call me, knock on my door after 8 p.m., you are going to get exhausted because I ain't even awake anymore. <laughs> I will tell you this, though. Don't confuse sprint seasons with marathon lifestyles. Now, that statement, is, there's two aspects to that. Don't confuse sprint seasons with marathon lifestyles. One aspect of that is that there is actually... Uh, a place for sprint seasons, okay? Jeffrey Earnshaw down the back. Jeffrey Earnshaw works full-time and he and his wife have just had a baby, so he also volunteers part-time, uh, full-time when he gets home from work. And he and Miranda are currently in a sprint season of their life where they are living nappily ever after. <laughs> oh boy, just, you guys are such a tough crowd now with my dad jokes. Neil, come on, give me a seven at least. All right. 
This sprint seasons, even in some industries, this sprint season, if you're an accountant, then end of financial year or tax return time, it's a sprint season. But don't confuse sprint seasons with marathon lifestyles. If you're an accountant and you're working the same velocity during the tax time and the EFIS time, EFIS, no, that's where Harvey Norman, EFI time, but that's actually what it looks like the other 11 and a half months of the year, then no, you've confused a sprint season with a marathon lifestyle. But there is a place for a sprint season. Teachers will tell you this, exams time and reports time, that's a sprint season. But if you're living like you live in your sprint season, the other 11 months of the year, then it's not actually a sprint season. You've actually let it become a marathon lifestyle. And there's a difference. Productivity is a good thing until it's not. Students, assignment and exam season. It's a sprint season, but if you're doing that as a lifestyle, it's no longer a sprint season. You've now made that a marathon lifestyle. Even those of you who are currently in a job that's not fun anymore, that's, that's, that, that you're not enjoying, that's not your dream job. Some of you, and I know this is your story, some of you are doing things to, to, how, to, to ultimately allow God and position yourself for God to airdrop you out of there into a better job. And, and so some of you are, are working the not dream job whilst studying at the same time. That's a sprint season and it's highly commendable. It's part of your exit strategy. It's probably essential. Some of you have actually started a side hustle. You're still working your full-time job, but you've started a side hustle. Hustle's a good thing these days, by the way. A side hustle. And you're hoping that that's gonna become your business and the thing that, 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 that makes things stick for you. That's a sprint season. And, and, and that's actually a good thing. But when that side hustle takes off or when you, when you get to finishing your studies and God airdrops you into the job that's more of your dream job, understand, don't continue life at the same velocity that you were living it during the sprint season because if you do, it's no longer a sprint season. It's now become your marathon lifestyle. Capiche? Work needs to be our servant, not our master. So I've lifted some strategies from Andy Stanley's book, Choosing to cheat. And uh, let me throw these down your throat right now. Number one, choose who you're going to cheat. You are always going to have to cheat somebody. If you've got to choose between cheating your job or cheating your spouse, if you need to choose between cheating your job or cheating your family, if you need to choose between cheating your job and cheating your health, here's, here's my recommendation. Unless your life plan is to spend your retirement years with your boss and your coworkers, cheat them now, not your spouse, not your family. Build the confidence to actually say to your boss, workplace, at an appropriate time, I'm actually leaving work and going home and I don't plan for work to follow me home. Choose to cheat. The right person. Here's another strategy, create margin. See, one of the myths of our hyperproductive 21st century Western culture is that the only way to promotion, the only way to advancement, the only way, understand the word I'm saying, the only way to getting ahead is more and more work. 
And yet, one of the, my favorite podcasts at the moment is a podcast called How I Built This, and it's interviewing uh, entrepreneurs, many of whom you've heard of, but you've heard of them now, not from when they first started as entrepreneurs in the early stages of their business. And, and, and yeah, they had to work hard in almost every case, sure, for a sprint season. But many of them will tell you a story about somebody they met unexpectedly that provided an opportunity because they created margin. They actually left work and went out for lunch. They actually left work and on a weekend went to someone's house for a dinner party. And in that setting, or because of somebody they knew who knew somebody else, something happened. And it wouldn't have happened if they were just chained to their desk and thinking that the only way to advancement is more and more and more. Sometimes just getting out of your current cubicle will actually give you a fresh perspective that will actually make you even more effective when you return to your cubicle because you left your cubicle. Here's another one. Don't give your family leftovers. A lot of my buddies, church leader buddies, take Mondays as their day off. And they'll tell you, I say, Mondays, really? Curious choice, why is that? And I say, well, what do you mean, what, why is that? Stupid question, okay. Well, let me ask you a stupid question. Why Mondays? Well, because I'm, I'm cooked. Sundays, it's, you know, we've got a lot of preach and we can lead and we've got to get things done. And, and Mondays, I'm like, uh, day after game day. I'm like, really? Yeah, so I, I take that day off. Really? They look at me like, what day do you take off? I say, I take Fridays off, man. I work on Mondays. Well, aren't you cooked? Yeah, I'm cooked. I'm cooked. And I say to my church on Mondays, you did this to me. So on Mondays, I'm working for you. And this is all you're getting. You're getting my leftovers, not my family and friends and not my health. I take Fridays off. Call me on Fridays. Text me on Fridays. Email me on Fridays. And I'll get back to you on Monday. True. Don't give your family leftovers. There, some of you are, well, no, I, I'm, I'm, home. I'm home at a decent hour. I'm, I'm home. Yeah, okay, really. I, you may, sometimes you can be physically there, but not fully present with your family and your spouse. Yes, dear, yep, mm-hmm, sure, yep, okay, uh-huh, yeah, I'm listening. Sure, of course I'm listening. I can multitask. No, you're a man, you can't. You, what? Your wife knows that. Stop living in the world of make-believe. And then... This one, and this is some super, super practical advice, and this is about next steps. Work, pray, and then don't stay. This requires a smidge of explanation. We've just been dropping around social media over this series, three words, wake, pray, slay. Now, I know it sounds funny from someone as old as me, but anyway, apparently the young cool kids use that word slay. Get up on a Monday, say to God, that's the wake bit in case you missed it. Pray, God, use me today as I'm made for Mondays, as I go into the marketplace and do some ministry disguised as a worker. And then slay, get it done. Make your boss think, man, these Jesus followers are the best employees that money can buy 
Man, I wish I had my, I said this the other week, I want your boss to ring me and say, Joshua De Silva, he's just started working for us. I said to him, man, you're amazing. What's your secret source? And he says, secret source? I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. Really? Yeah. And I'm part of Elevate Church. Really? Yeah. What's the number of the guy that leads that? Oh, well, I'll give it to you, but don't call him on a Friday. Anyway, and, and so he calls me on a Monday and I say, yeah. And he goes, hey, Joshua De Silva's just started working for me. He's awesome. Got him more like him. And I say, buddy, we got a whole flipping church full of people like him. Because here's what we do when it comes to Monday. We wake, pray and slay. It's just normal. Anyway, something like that. That's how plays out in my head. This one's a little bit different. This one's, if you, some of you, and, and, and this is a little bit of my story, I have to take 100% of the responsibility of, of, of my workaholism when I was at the height of my addiction. 100% responsibility. I'm not gonna deflect that. I'm not gonna palm that off. I'm gonna say that was me. And I popped the hood and I said, unhealthy expression of being competitive was, a, was part of my fuel, bad fuel that, that uh, I bought into the myth that more is better, bad myth. One other thing, and, and this was real, but I'm still not gonna deflect the blame, but I was also in a culture that actually didn't put some guardrails up from a cultural standpoint to help some people like me stop going over the cliff. That, 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 that living and working at a sustainable pace being effective, sure, but working at it and living at a sustainable place wasn't actually celebrated as part of the culture. And so I was allowed to become a workaholic. And you may actually be currently or trending towards becoming a workaholic and the culture that you're in actually rewards it. You may be the person or in line or heading into the slipstream of getting the employee of the year award based on the fact that you worked more than everyone else that year. And, and in that situation, the reason could be that your boss or your culture or your company, you can't say no to them. That it's actually set up in a way that you can't actually push back. You can't actually say, it's 5.30, I'm out of here. They say, 5.30? No, let's have this conversation again when it's 9.30, then you may leave. Some of you, the only way out is actually to get out. Again, not suggesting you become a government-funded Netflix binge-watcher. Whilst you're in the job, work. Work hard, meet your boss's expectations. It's an amazing thing that you get given when you meet your boss's expectations. It's called a wage, it's magical. So while you're there and your boss and your company has expectations that you're expected to meet, you gotta meet them or else you're gonna unfortunately be branded as, as lazy and self That Those things are reality. But if that culture is such that you don't feel you can push back, you don't feel there's any wiggle room for you and there's some industries built on more is better, then start praying for God to give you an exit strategy. And for some of you, it's gonna be take up a little side course of study. For some of you, it's gonna be start a side hustle. For some of you, whatever it is, some of you I know are actually working full-time and studying full-time, but the seesaw is gonna 
change when you finish the studies because you're gonna be able to just work full time. And this, this is the sprint season for you. But please don't. And please understand that God's best for you is not to just get swept downstream in the current of productivity in our 21st century Western culture. So, here we are at uh, Sunday morning at Elevate's uh, annual Workaholics Anonymous meeting. Uh, I would just like to know uh, in a moment how many of you are a workaholic or maybe like me in recovery, and I wanna pray for you. Um, And I'll tell you what I'm gonna pray for you. I'm not gonna pray, I don't have the answers, but I'm gonna pray for insight. So if, you, if you're a workaholic, is this a safe place here? You know, this is the good thing about, like the reason these Alcoholics Anonymous things work in there is when you say, uh, uh, I'm an alcoholic, no one goes, how could you? <laughs> They're like, yeah, me too. <laughs> so no one's gonna judge you, but let me just, I'm just interested and I wanna pray for you if, you're, if you want me to pray for you. Just put your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm kind of in that space and I'll pray for you right now. Because if I'm the only person in the room here, I've just wasted everyone's 30 minutes of their time. Okay, that's cool. Great. How could you? Just kidding. (laughs) Let me pray for you. God, I thank you that you, that you, uh, that you actually call us to productivity. That you actually bless us with the opportunity to work and be creative and be productive and and make a contribution in, in our world, in our spheres. I thank you, God, that you use our jobs, our careers, our businesses. To, to provide an income that ultimately allows us to see your kingdom built and our families established and our needs met, God. God, I also thank you that you have some parameters set up for us that we're not meant to just work and work and work and work and work and work until we can't work anymore. That we're not to become insomniacs, that we're not to abandon our health and our relationships. And so God, this morning for those, let's say half a dozen people who put their hand up, identified as, as I have, as being workaholics or having that tendency, God, I pray this morning for insight, God, that this intervention is actually uh, not considered to be judgment or condemnation, but actually a conviction that you've got something different, you've got something better, you've got something beyond this season or this lifestyle that we've fallen into, that you promise us rest, you promise us a sweet sleep. God, help us understand where the boundary needs to be. Help us orient our mindset and ultimately our decisions and our pattern of life to be such that we actually are living according to your kingdom values and not merely our 21st century Western cultural values. In Jesus' name. Amen.